Hi, I'm Jason Mark from Curious City, and I don't know about you, but I am really excited that we're inching towards spring, and as we emerge from our winter hibernation, it's pretty awesome to see birds and other wildlife returning to our neighborhoods and favorite parks. And 26-year-old Phoebe Murtaugh recommends keeping an eye out for crows. There's a crow. It just kind of ghosted in on silent wings and is perched on top of a lamppost, kind of checking out the surrounds. They usually like to sit at the very tops of one of these big trees. I think they just like keeping an eye on things. <laughs> so shiny. Now, some see these large black birds as harbingers of doom, but others consider them good luck. For Phoebe, it's all about their charisma. I've found them curious since I learned that they can use tools and recognize faces and clever animals are always kind of the most interesting because you end up wondering what they're thinking about. Phoebe grew up in the Pullman neighborhood and she's always loved Chicago's parks, but she's noticed a change in the crow population in recent years. I grew up in Chicago and I don't remember seeing crows when I was little. Just I feel like in the past five, ten years I see them a lot more than I can ever recall seeing them, you know, so it got me wondering, like, is this part of our changing urban environment? We hear good things about, like, more frogs and more butterflies and improving local conditions, but I know so little about crows, I don't know. Turns out Phoebe's observation is correct. The crow population in Chicago has gone through a massive change in her lifetime. Like in the year 2000, the state's crow population was at an all-time high. And just three years later, half of those crows were dead. Half. And their population hasn't bounced back all the way. And I know what you might be thinking, but humans actually aren't responsible for this one. It's not some new pesticide, and it's not climate change. It's actually because of something that's going to sound pretty familiar after these last couple years. Chicago's crows were hit by a deadly virus, and it's one that humans are susceptible to as well. So where was this virus coming from? Was it coming from the crows? Reporter Claire Caulfield will unravel the mystery after the break. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, The Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. To answer Phoebe's questions about the changing crow population in Chicago, I knew I had to find someone who really knows Illinois' birds. Mainly like passerins and near-passerin birds, which are your smaller birds. And Tara Bevroth really knows (laughs) Illinois' birds. 
Well, I don't know if you heard that back there, but that was a downy woodpecker that you just heard. <laughs> Actually, interestingly enough, Tara is an um, avian ecologist with the Illinois Natural History Survey. Most of her job is counting and surveying the bird populations that call Illinois home. This includes the state's crow population. This time of year, I'm preparing for big bird counts that are going to be starting in the state. Tara helps run the spring bird count, which is a big deal. I get so excited I can't sleep well ever the night before because <laughs> it's, I don't know, it's just so fun. This year is the 50th anniversary of the bird count, and more than a thousand volunteers are planning to count birds on May 7th. We try to get an idea of all the different types of habitat that are offered in the county itself so that we can like make sure we cover as much of the county as we can. Over the course of the day, volunteers note down how many birds they see or hear and the species. And scientists at the University of Illinois use that data to help them estimate the state's bird populations. And back in 2002, the number of crows was shocking. We detected like 10,000 crows that year on the count. The following year, it was around 5,000. So it was a huge difference. In a single year, the crow population was cut in half. And Tara saw all of this firsthand. She was actually hired by the Illinois Natural History Survey around this time to help figure out why so many birds were getting sick and dying. We would just find them dead. And that was, you know, is depressing. We would tell people, don't touch the birds. If a crow is, you know, stumbling around and not walking straight or falling over or things like that, um, just looking very disoriented. Um, those are the things that are kind of red flags, like, oh, there's something wrong with this bird. So what was going on? Let's go back to the year 2001, when two crows were found dead in Chicago. Scientists had a hunch, and so they decided to test the crows for a virus that had been circulating in Africa and the Middle East for a few decades and had recently started showing up in New York. And turns out, those Chicago crows were infected with that same virus, the West Nile virus. We have news tonight about the explosion of the West Nile virus. Now some north suburbs are dealing with the return of West Nile virus. And the number of new cases is at the highest level in more than That means West Nile has now been found in every community in the North Shore. A woman in LaSalle County is the first person in Illinois to die from the virus. By the end of 2002, more people in Illinois had gotten sick and died from West Nile than anywhere else in the country. But the culprit wasn't the crows. It was mosquitoes. The West Nile virus is mainly carried by birds, but you won't catch it from a bird. It takes a mosquito biting an infected bird and then biting a human. For many people, a West Nile infection just means a slight headache or fever, but others get really sick. And for people over 60 years old or those who are immunocompromised, a West Nile infection can mean paralysis or even death. Since West Nile first showed up in America, more than 70,000 people have caught the virus. Now, most of the deaths were in the mid-2000s, but there are still people in Illinois who get sick and die from West Nile every year. And it is definitely, seems like it's more under control, but it is still something that, you know, 
if you have a pre-existing health condition or you just never know. You never know how a virus is going to affect you as, we, as we've learned from COVID. Which is part of the reason Tara's work with the bird count is so important because the crow population can tell us a lot about the West Nile virus. That crow is an indicator species. You know, that crow told us, look, there's this virus that's happening and it can potentially do damage to people. And it was, it's almost like a pre-warning. Because crows in particular are really susceptible to the West Nile virus, more so than any other species. They suffer greatly from it. They develop really, really high loads of the virus and they just, most of them just do not survive from it. Crows are also really social birds. They gather in large groups, but that means they are really bad at social distancing. So one infected crow could spread the virus to their flock mates. It can spread from bird to bird if they're, you know, close to each other. It's, it's a virus. So that explains why Phoebe didn't see many crows while she was growing up. The population was still devastated by the virus. The good news is the number of crows has been steadily increasing since the 2010s, though their numbers still haven't recovered from the virus's first wave. But vigilance has definitely helped. During the West Nile surge, public health organizations sprang into action, spraying chemicals to kill mosquitoes and making it a lot harder for mosquitoes to lay their eggs in the city. From there, there are two main theories as to why the number of West Nile cases has decreased. The first, it's possible the virus has mutated. That's what happens with certain viruses, um, that they change over time. The same could be said for West Nile. You're seeing less people affected by it. You know, they're not dying like they were when it first hit. They've studied it, so I, they know it's changed. West Nile was first identified in 1937, and yeah, it could make people sick, but it was considered pretty mild. But around 1999, scientists think the virus mutated again. And it was suddenly a lot more deadly to both humans and crows. Scientists looked at the blood of crows infected with the new strain and found that it not only infected crows faster, it also led to extraordinarily high viral counts. That means there was a lot more of the virus in the bird, up to 10,000 times more than the older strain. In recent years, the virus might have mutated again. These newer strains are relatively mild and lead to lower viral counts in the bird's blood, which means it's less likely for a mosquito to pass on the virus to a human. The second thing that could be playing a role? Stronger crows. Scientists like Tara trapped crows and then tested them for antibodies. If they had antibodies, it meant their immune systems learned how to fight off the virus. And there were a good number, you know, of birds that did develop antibodies. Those are the ones that survived. Tracking the many mutations of a virus and subsequent antibody response is an ongoing job. We'll explore how scientists are doing that here in Illinois after the break. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at afsp.org slash 
Talk Away the Dark. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. If you walk into the University of Illinois' medical entomology lab, you'll see biohazard warnings, sealed boxes swarming with mosquitoes, and scientists like Lita Chesser, hard at work. We were trying to run it for next-gen sequencing, but the primers weren't sensitive enough for our product. So I ran the uh, same primers without that tail end to amplify the product, and now I'm adding that tail onto the end result. Did you catch all that? In layman's terms, Lita is using some really cool science to figure out what mosquitoes are feeding on by analyzing the blood in their bellies. I I enjoy finding out the hidden secrets that each mosquito or each tick has. You know, it, it tells us a lot about what kind of diseases are there, what kind of risks people are taking unknowingly by being in certain areas. So I enjoy doing that part of the work to share the knowledge. But in order to collect that knowledge, you first have to collect the mosquitoes. And although it might seem like you can't keep mosquitoes away from you in the summer, it can actually be quite tricky to catch them in the early spring. This is places where we have all our field equipment sort of stored and maintained. Meet Chris Stone. I'm the director of the Medical Entomology Lab at the Illinois Natural History Survey, and I study vector-borne diseases and arthropods that transmit them. Chris has studied mosquitoes for a long time and said that it's really important to understand a mosquito's behavior before you can try and stop its spread. This lab is really focused on understanding links between vector-borne disease transmission, vectors, so those are things like mosquitoes or ticks, Um, and different environmental conditions. This time of year is really busy for Chris's team because they're preparing mosquito traps, which they'll set up all around the state. It involves lots of charging of batteries to run the traps. Chris and his team actually use a lot of household items for their traps. The coolest traps are made from large blue thermoses. But these thermoses aren't for storing soup. Scientists drill small holes into the thermos, fill it with dry ice, and leave it out overnight. The dry ice will sublimate slowly over the course of the night and give off CO2 and then acts as a as a cue. You see, animals and humans breathe out CO2. Mosquitoes can detect that. So they'll fly into the thermos expecting to find a sleeping animal. But instead of snacking on delicious blood, the mosquito will be trapped in the thermos with the dry ice. We want to capture a wide diversity of mosquitoes and Different mosquitoes respond better to different types of traps. There are more than 50 species of mosquitoes in Illinois, and this year, Chris is focused on a particular species. Uh, A mosquito called Culiceta melanura, which is the primary vector of eastern equine encephalitis virus. This virus, known as EEE, can be really dangerous, even more dangerous than West Nile. And while it hasn't yet been detected in Illinois, 
it has been found in Indiana, Michigan, and Wisconsin. It's very rare, but it's been increasing, and it's also been expanding its geographic range. So we do have some concern as to whether it could, at some point, pop up in Illinois. Staying on top of all the different species of mosquitoes and all the diseases they could possibly carry is a big task. But Chris hopes the pandemic has helped people realize why it's so important to learn everything we can about viruses. Everyone now has this has seen how easy it is for the for the next big virus to come along and how dramatic those impacts could be. Just like with COVID, there are things you can do today to help stop the spread of West Nile virus. Making sure that you're not producing mosquitoes in your own backyard is very helpful. That, that's a good starting point. The mosquito species that's responsible for West Nile loves standing water. It'll lay its eggs in even a small amount of undisturbed water. That includes clogged gutters, bird baths, or even a forgotten bucket or tin can. So make it part of your spring cleaning to thoroughly check your yard, patio, and neighborhood for any areas where water can pool and mosquitoes can breed. If you can convince your neighbors to do the same, that's, that, that's wonderful too. Here in Illinois, mosquitoes start hatching in April and hang around until mid-October. And they mostly target humans in July and August, around dusk and dawn. Wearing long sleeves and pants, especially in a light color like white, can help keep you safe from bites. And if you do see a dead bird, or a bird that seems really sick, contact the health department. It might just help Chris's lab make a discovery that could keep Chicago safe. It seems like it's a matter of time until the next big virus comes along and it might well be a mosquito-borne virus. One part that is, I think, interesting to think about is, could we be seeing mutations in viruses that are already here that might make things much worse? That is sort of an area that I think, due to COVID, we're, we're probably thinking about a lot more. And another thing we've been thinking a lot about, vaccines. Scientists are actually working on a West Nile vaccine for both humans and birds, but it's a ways away. So in the meantime, check for standing water and keep that bug spray handy. Thanks to Claire Caulfield for reporting this story. Curious City is supported by the Conan Family Foundation and produced by me and Joe Dassault. Adriana Cardona Magigat is our reporter. Maggie Sivet is our digital and engagement producer. Asia Singleton is our intern. And Alexandra Solomon edits the show. I'm Jason Mark. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you back here next week. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.